0: The reading this morning is taken from 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 5, verses 12 to 24. And it can be found on page 1188 of the Church Bibles. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 24. Final Instructions. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Shirley. Good. So I don't know if you want to come and sit out the front because this is quite a visual talk uh, today. As we move on uh, in our series about discipleship, we've been thinking about these three parts of being disciples, that we being a disciple is about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. So there's three parts to being disciples, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the things that he did, and we've just done being with Jesus, and now we're on to becoming like Jesus. And I was thinking about that for me. What does that mean for me, stood up here, becoming like Jesus? And I was thinking, well, how did Jesus teach? And if we look at how Jesus taught, he usually used everyday examples, didn't he, to get over to the people the things of God. He talked about a man going from Jericho and getting beat, going down to Jericho and getting beaten up, uh, and then rescued. He talked about family issues in the prodigal son who went off with all the money and the forgiving father who welcomes him home. He talked about farmers sowing the seed and uh, vineyard owners uh, paying the wages of their employees, and that is the reason that today up here we have a bag of golf clubs. Okay, I'm not going to be as good at Jesus as talking about everyday things and relating them to God, but I'm going to try, okay? And today's passage, we're going to think about golf, okay? And particularly about your golf swing. Now, it would help me at this point to know how many people here have played golf regularly. Anybody here played golf regularly? So we've got one, two, okay, three, well done, four, okay, people are starting to run up, okay, okay? Everybody, who here has been on the pitch and putt near the 10th hole? Has anybody done that? Okay, so we've got a few more people on that. And then who here has been on a crazy golf course and tried to get the ball in the hole? Okay, so most people have a slight vague idea about golf. So just to go back to the basics, you take a very small ball like this and you take a long stick called a club and you have to hit the ball a long way with the stick until it goes in a hole which has got a flag coming out of it okay that's what we're talking about and the key to golf is your swing and your swing is what it's all about your swing is made up of lots of different component parts we've got a picture of uh, a golf swing a good golf swing okay uh oh wrong bit up here. So here we've got uh, a guy called Dustin Johnson and he's got a good golf swing and it's smooth and it's solid and it's simple and he swings through the ball and it goes miles in the right direction almost every time. And the thing about this passage that made me think about golf is this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, Verses 12 to 24, there are 17 different instructions in those 12 verses, 17 things that we need to remember if we want to be disciples. And it made me think how a golf swing is made up of lots of different parts, lots of different bits that you have to get right in order for the swing to work. So all of those 17 if we could get rid of that one, Nigel, uh, all of those 17 bits have to be right. And yet, the swing is just one thing, isn't it? And our lives are made up of lots of different instructions that we get from God, and yet our lives are meant to be simply following Jesus. So this is my idea, that all those instructions are a bit like a golf swing. They all have to come together to work together. And golf swings are quite complicated, and this is what makes golf a bit tricky. You have to get a lot of bits right. So you have to get your grip right first, okay? And to hit it a long way, you need a good grip. You can't just hold the stick and, and, and wave it around. You need a grip, and a lot of golfers use an interlocking grip. So your little finger goes between your uh, first finger and your second finger, your other hand. And then when you line it up on the club, the line between your thumb and your forefinger has to be aiming between your neck and your shoulder. So it has to be going up in the right direction. Am I doing this all right, John? Not quite. Oh, John's, John's, John's grip's a bit different. OK, so you start off with a good grip, OK, and then you have to set up right. You have to have your feet the right distance apart. You have to have the ball in the right place between your feet. And then you have to bring the club back in a good wide arc. And at the top of the swing, the head of the club needs to be pointing at the hole that you're aiming at. So you have to have your, the club in the right place at the top. You bring it back to the top. And then you swing through until... And, and look, I lost my balance. You're meant to stay in balance. And you're meant to finish with the club nice and high. And your belt buckle should be facing the hole that you're hitting it to. A lot of things to think about, aren't there? But in the end, you just have to swing, don't you? In the end, you just have to swing. And sometimes we get the little bits of our Christian faith wrong. I met someone this week who'd given up on the Bible, okay? Okay. He was searching for absolute truth. And I said, well, I know a place to find it. And he said, oh, no, I've given up on the Bible. I said, why? He said, well, Mark 6 and Luke 9. Mark 6 and Luke 9. In Mark 6 and Luke 9, it tells the story of Jesus sending out the 12 disciples on mission. And in Mark 6, it said, Jesus said, take no staff. In Luke 9... It said, the disciples went out and they took a staff. Jesus said, take no bag, no, and lots of other things. He said, in one place it says, take a staff. In another place it says, take no staff. The two can't be right. The Bible isn't true. I can't rely on it. And I said to him, well, if you were in a court of law and there were two witnesses and they'd seen a burglary and both had identified the man and had done an identity and the man's face was caught on CCTV and there were just the two witnesses one of them said he had a red scarf on the other one said he had a blue scarf on would you throw out the whole case because they got one bit of evidence wrong isn't it more likely and in fact that's what the police look for they look for witness evidence that don't match completely when people are giving evidence because if they match completely it's probable that they've dreamt it up between themselves. You need a little bit of diversion in the evidence given by two witnesses for for it to be believable. I said, you know, Mark's gospel was written in Egypt. Luke's gospel was written in Rome. Luke, who'd taken all the notes on what he was going to put into his gospel, was shipwrecked on the way to Rome and lost all of his research. So isn't it amazing that the stories hold together so well when they come from so... Far apart in that ancient world, and you're telling me you're giving up because of one thing. Sometimes people get little things wrong about our faith and it throws them off course completely. Just like in golf, if you hold the club wrong, you're never going to hit it very far. So, golf, we're going to stick with golf and we're going to carry on with this idea that you need to learn a few things and get a good swing if you want to play well so uh let's see where we got to uh the next thing is that you need to play if you're playing golf you need to play with people who um are a bit better than you that's generally a good way to learn things isn't it you play with people a bit better of you than you and you need to watch out for the people who don't play as well as you because you can learn bad habits from them and this passage I think it is really useful because it's got lots of good habits that you want to see in the Christians around you there's a bit where it says be joyful pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances that's part of being a Christian and this passage for me perhaps as much as any says be careful of grumpy Christians okay if you see grumpy Christians who are always moaning and groaning Don't go on a journey with them of faith because they haven't got this bit right, have they? Now, that's not saying that sometimes we're going to have tough times and we're going to be sad and it will be difficult. But Christians who are always grumpy and moaning and not doing it right, they've missed an essential part of what it is to be a disciple. So in golf, you need some knowledge. You need some knowledge before you start, but then you need to practice. You need to put what you've learned into practice. To be good at golf, you need to practice a lot. If you're an ordinary player, most people will practice before they go out on a round and they might practice once in the week between their rounds. If you're a professional golfer, they spend days on the practice range. They spend days hitting balls in all sorts of ways, in all sorts of directions, in all sorts of weathers. They want to practice. And even then, the best players hit bad shots there's a story about a professional golfer who ended up in a bunker and the crowd were around watching him trying to get out of the bunker. And uh, he hit his shot and it came up out of the sand, it's a difficult shot to make, out of the sand, over the top of the bunker, onto the green and rolled to within a few inches of the hole. And somebody in the crowd said, well, that was lucky. And the golfer who was called Arnold Palmer said, It's a funny thing. The more I practice, the luckier I get. And isn't that the truth? The more we practice, the luckier we get. And it's the same with us as disciples, as Christians. We need to practice. We need to practice forgiveness. When somebody hurts us a little bit, we need to forgive them. So that when somebody hurts us a lot, we've already practiced forgiveness. We're in that way of life or with prayer. We need to practice prayer. We've got a great chance next Saturday to sign up for 24 hours of prayer. We need to be praying people so that in the good times when we're praying, we put into our lives rhythms of prayer so that when we get to the tough times, we go on praying because that's what we've practiced. That's what we know works in our lives. We need to practice the things that we need to do to be disciples we need to learn the basics, we need to practice, but then we need to go out and play. And there's no point in just learning and practicing golf and hitting balls on a golf range. In the end, if you're gonna play golf, you need to go out and play around. And just coming here on a Sunday morning is not enough for us as Christians. Here is a bit like the practice range. We need to go out into the world and play out our discipleship amongst the people around us. We need to let them see that we have a way of life that makes sense, that works, no matter what comes at us. We need to show them that we have a life that is simple, but it's got all the components in it that you need to live well. And when you play around, You realize that all the things you've been practicing, you can't keep in your head at one time. So you need to bear it down, sort of pare it down so that you just do one thing. Jesus gave us an example of that. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. He said, don't worry about all the small stuff. Just seek first the kingdom of God. He was clear about what he was doing. He was simple and solid and smooth in the way he lived his life. It's one of the biggest challenges to clear your mind of all the little bits and just keep focused on the aim. That it is to hit the ball towards the hole. And in our lives, it's to live a life of love because that's what God wants us to do. And there are times when we will get into trouble. There are times when we'll end up in the rough or the trees on life's golf course. And we will need to keep focused on the things at the centre of it. If you turn to page 1188 and look at this passage again, there's lots of instructions. There's lots of good advice on how to cope with the difficult parts of life. But try and do them all and we'll fail. In our own strength, we will fail. It's an impossible task. That's what hampered the Pharisees in the time of Jesus. They'd taken the 10 commands that Moses had brought down from the mountain and the Pharisees in Jesus' time had turned them into 365 commands. There was one for each day of the year. You had to remember each of them for each day of the year. 365 commands that you could never break or you would mess up with God. And living, about, living for God was never meant to be about what we ought to do. All you ought to do is a religion of your head. It's all about duty. It's all about uh, getting things right and never crossing the boundaries. But God's always wanted for us to have a relationship with him that's about our hearts. Our hearts are what matter to God. God wants us to live in love, a loving relationship with him. Not just obedience, but love. That's what's most important to God. And so when it was never meant to be about what we ought to do, what you ought to do this or you ought not to do that. And when all these rules came into the lives of the Jewish people, it created a critical heart condition. In fact, it was a fatal heart condition. The condition that the Pharisees suffered from was a hardening of the arteries because it was all about what they ought to do. And all of those oughts that got hardened into rules and they just lost it. They'd lost their ability to live in, in love with God. They'd lost that ability to enjoy life, to see how life really worked with God. So Jesus reduced all of that down, didn't he? And he said that our lives needed to be lives of love. He gave us three commands love God with all your heart, mind, body and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then on the night before he died, Jesus gave us another command, love one another. Jesus made it all about love. Keep your swing simple. Love God, love your neighbor, love one another. If you're always thinking about it, thinking too hard about it, it becomes too difficult. Just think about the love. Think about There's uh, St. Augustine, who was uh, uh, one of the church fathers long, long time ago. He said this thing, which is a really dangerous thing to say, but it just fits in with this talk, so I feel I've got to say it. St. Augustine said, love God and then do what you like. Because if you love God, then doing what you like will be something that fits in with loving God. If we love God first, we'd never do anything that would hurt God or hurt any of his children. We'd never put anybody down, we'd never beat anybody up because if we love God truly, we love all of his creation, don't we? We love all of the wonderful children that God's made in the world. Love God and then do what you like, Saint Augustine said. Keep it simple. Simple, solid and smooth. That's what our calling is to be. Um, to In order to become a vicar I had to go away to theological college And before this job, I was a vet and I was good at being a vet. And then I went to theological college and you had to do all these essays. But the hardest bit was that you were surrounded by all these super spiritual people. And everybody in the first week of theological college was watching everybody else. And they were seeing how you prayed and how you worshipped and how you talked to God and, you know, what your life was like, whether you ever said a swear word by mistake. And there were all these things that I was thinking, oh, people are watching me because I need to be good. And In order to get through college, I need to be a perfect person. And I thought, no, I don't. It's too much just waiting upon everybody else's opinion. I just need to serve God and love God and live for him and live with an audience of one. If I do what God wants me to do in my life, then it's going to fit in with what everybody else wants and even if it doesn't, it's him that I'm here to please anyway. So just live your life for one person. Live your life for God. Love God and do everything you want. That's what Saint Augustine said and it works. It works. So what is our calling? Our calling is to become like Jesus and this passage paints a picture of Jesus because Jesus is the one who never paid back evil with good, wrong with right. He on the cross said, Father, forgive them for what they're doing. He avoided all evil. He only went for the things that were good. Jesus is the person that we seek to become like. And at the end of this passage, it says finally how we can do this. Because it's not just about us learning all the rules and practicing and playing. It's about us having a coach who is... The very best coach who will make our lives work. This is um at one time the best golfer in the world, Rory McElroy. And this is Rory McElroy with his coach. His coach is looking for the things in his swing that are wrong. And we have a coach in our lives that are looking for the things that are wrong in our lives and helping us to sort out the bits that are wrong. He's called the Holy Spirit. And that's God, the God of peace, who will make us holy, sanctify us through and through. That's what this passage says. We have this coach who's with us. When we hit the ball way off the course, he's there to put another one down so that we can have another go to hit it in the right direction. My dad used to do that when I went out to play with him. That's how I got better. He never gave up on me when I hit the ball in completely the wrong direction. He'd have another one in his bag. It's okay, it's only a golf ball, he'd say. And he'd put it down next to me and I'd have another go and hit it as hard as I could in the right direction. God's like that. He is a good, good father. He's ready there to be with us and to watch over us and to help us to hit things in the right direction and not in the wrong direction. We have this Holy Spirit who's with us. It says... The one who, is, who calls you is faithful. That's Jesus, the one who calls us, and he is faithful. It doesn't say the one who calls you makes impossible demands and you will fail. That's not what Jesus wants to do with us. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. This week at our Alpha course, we were talking about why people don't come to church and one of the people said well i think is because people look at christianity and they think it's too difficult they think it's not for them they think that they couldn't do it they couldn't live that way and i said well that's that's really sad isn't it that's really sad if we've made this life of following jesus so complicated so difficult that people just look at it and they think nah i'm not going to do that it's too hard see Playing golf is quite difficult. You need to learn the basics. You need to get the bits right to help you to play. And some people never play golf because they think, oh, it looks too hard. Well, apart from the fact that it costs a lot of money to get all the bag and the stuff and to join the club and all of that. There is that as well, I know. But some people just think it looks too hard and they have a try and they hit it in the wrong direction and they give up. We mustn't make Christianity like that, must we? We must make Christianity something simple that people can come in and learn the basics, learn how to start to live this life and then learn and practice and play. Because we have a coach, a Holy Spirit, who is with us, who even when we mess up will help us to make the right decisions, to get back on track. He's always at work in me. I haven't got time in this sermon to tell you the amount of things I have to work on in my life that the Holy Spirit is working on in me at this point in time. He's always guiding us and leading us into the better way of life. But we need to learn and practice and play and listen to that coach who's always there. He helps us to hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. As we learn and practice and play, we want our lives to look simple and solid and smooth. And as we seek to become more like Jesus, this is our calling, that we would be a church filled with people who can see Jesus in us. This is our calling. Let's become those disciples. Let's pray. Let's finish with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us this way of life that helps us to navigate all of the challenges and the difficulties that we will face. A way of life that isn't always easy, but is always fulfilling, is always an adventure. So Lord, help us to be a place where we can learn foundations where people don't feel excluded but included where people are welcomed to just get to grips with what God wants for us as his people give us the simple things that will help us to follow you Lord and Lord we pray that you would remind us of the things that we need to work on in our lives help us To know where we need to change to be transformed where we need to correct who we are so that we can become like you Lord may your Holy Spirit bring the fruit of your spirit into our lives may we live lives of love and joy and peace may we know your patience your kindness your gentleness may we know your goodness and your faithfulness and your self-control and Lord we pray that your Holy Spirit would send us out from here into the world where we can live a life that speaks of you to those around us, where we can show people that your word is truth. And that truth is what helps us to steer our course through life. And Lord, when we get it wrong, we pray for your forgiveness. When we get it wrong, we pray that you would be gentle with us but Lord we pray that you would always be encouraging us to become who you long for us to be so that we may be blameless and pure at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and that we may see his face and your glory and know your everlasting life within us now and forever Amen.